Welcome, welcome to the Diojo Podcast! Fun fact, this is the most popular podcast on the whole interwebs that starts with the Diojo and ends with podcast. <laughs> You're here. And what do we do here? It's a good question. Um, really, it's a discussion with our friends from the property restoration, construction, and insurance communities who are in the trenches daily making things happen. We reach out to them, they connect with us, and through these discussions we hope to connect and learn from each other, to collaborate and source some creative solutions, especially in these crazy times, and then help each other shorten that dang learning curve which leads to conquering our obstacles. The Diojo is the do your stinking job dojo where our goal is to help you develop intentionally hello hello to all you beautiful people out there in quarantine land Woohoo! um i do sincerely hope that you and your friends and your family and your peers are staying safe uh if you're like me i'm very thankful to be a part of an essential, you know, quote unquote, essential services so that uh, my team is still working and I'm still able to work. And, you know, hopefully, like all of us are doing is taking more time to think through our safety processes, you know, whether you're in a position of leadership and have input at that, you know, at your company or, um, you know, just a worker bee working in the hive. You know, thinking through how you keep yourself safe and especially in, in your fellow co-workers safe and not bringing work home with you in the way of cross-contamination. You know, it's uh, definitely a time where we're thinking more about those things. And um, uh, cross-contamination coincidentally goes into the, the our guest and our topic for today. But before we get into that, I am super excited to be talking to you about our um, sponsor for today for the Diojo podcast is Single Speed Screen Printing based out of La Grande, Oregon. They are a family-owned local screen printed custom apparel shop um, and they print any quantity, any sizes. The process for us, we decided to go with them for our the Diojo podcast t-shirts that uh, we'll be sending out to our podcast guests. and. The process for getting them to design, uh, working through some of those tweaks and, and getting it dialed in, and then them um, being very responsive, getting us the shirts and working with us on the pricing. They do any uh, quantities, obviously, like most places. There, there's no minimum order, so that's awesome. There's no setup fee, which is great for small businesses like ours um, that are just getting started. And then they um, obviously there's pricing that uh, the more you order, the better the pricing gets, and they really work with you to uh, get that uh, into the realm of what you need. So um, I recommend them single speed screen printing. We're super happy with uh, what they sent us. They went above and beyond. Uh, Meg there has been great to work with. Single speed screen printing.com, just like it sounds, all spelled out. Spelled out singlespeedscreenprinting.com they can deliver to anywhere the process is seamless and they're uh, been very friendly and very helpful very responsive so shout out to them i wish i could show you on the podcast um, 
you'll see that coming up. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram to see posts of the picture and those pictures and those kinds of things. So let's get into our topic today. Our guest is a friend of mine, a friend and peer of mine, Amy Sidlecki of the Mold Reporters. They are based in Portland, Oregon, where um, many of you I don't know. It, it's well known throughout the Northwest that Portland is famous for, quote unquote, keeping it weird. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things if you roll through the uh, Portland airport PDX, you know, you take pictures of the goofy carpet and that kind of stuff. So known for the hipsters, um, also has a great local craft beer and uh, distilleries. Um, but uh you know, I remember from a professional standpoint coming up from California where everything's slab on grade into the more humid and moist um, environment in the Pacific Northwest where houses are built on, you know, with crawl spaces and those kinds of things. And Amy addresses some of the stack effect. But what drew me to Amy and the Mold Reporters is just how thorough she is um, on their reports as an environmental consultant. Um, if you've ever done mold remediation, you know, having a report that just has no details doesn't allow you to, you know, create a plan, you know, isn't very helpful for setting up the expectation with the customer. Um, you know, that can be a very frustrating process. And so I've always appreciated how thorough she is. Um, she's always <laughs> in a Tyvek suit, getting down and getting dirty, crawling through the crawl space, getting in the attic. Um, she's very thorough and then very um, uh, helpful for her clients to help them understand the information that she's giving them and even goes above and beyond to try to identify what are the sources of the moisture that's been leading to the microbial growth in your structure so that we you know, aren't paying to get the mold remediated and then just having the same uh, reoccurrence because it hasn't been addressed and it's interesting to me that there's still a lot of contractors not working in, with environmental consultants, you know, almost even more so now. I know it's a cost issue. I 100% I get that. But even more so now that insurance companies aren't paying for mold remediation, you know, it's it's liability. The liability issue um, is is huge. And so, you know, having that uh, baseline testing so that you know what you're dealing with going in. Um, you know, in my personal opinion, it's not as important, you know, what type of mold it is, you know, but, uh, knowing some of those quantities so that you have baseline information to test against, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, mold is mold. It tells you that there's moisture, right? And so you're trying to determine is that moisture coming from an active leak, which is the easiest of the molds, uh, sources to solve because there was a leak here. It affected here, here, and here, which is where the mold is. We fix the leak. We get rid of the mold. Shouldn't have a recurring problem. But uh, when you have that uh, continuous ambient moisture or or those other kinds of issues that lead to mold growth in a structure, that's where it gets uh, a lot more interesting. So it's interesting to me, uh, contractors, homeowners, obviously for cost issues, sometimes um, not working with consultants. It reminds me there's a local um, contractor in my area, Common Concerns Home Inspections. Um, my wife works as a realtor and not everyone is a fan of how detailed and thorough his reports are. 
Um, and that's, uh, it seems like an oxymoron, but whether intentionally or unintentionally, you know, there are people, and Amy does mention that with regards to mold remediation, that aren't always working in the best long-term interest of their clients, right? So if you want to get a house, get in, get it sold, you know, your realtor is supposed to be a partner with you, but representing you. And so uh, Andrew there at Common Concerns is very thorough and identifies the things. And some people can't differentiate between this is, um, you know, an advisement. I'm making you aware that these issues exist, which as a home buyer, I would want to know, what am I getting into? What am I investing in? And, um, and then, you know, uh, negotiating that between the buyer and the seller. And so that thoroughness, you know, uh, creating that value as a contractor or a consultant, you know, having the best interest of the client at, at hand, you know, and sometimes when clients don't want to go those routes, you know, making sure that you're documenting that and, um, you know, covering your butt in that sense, but uh, being careful about who you partner with, you know, and then who the best time to fire a client is before you get hired for the job, because, you know, once you've signed and gotten started, you know, that's not the best time to try to pull back. So, you know, if you're getting the heebie-jeebies before the project starts, that might be an indicator to uh, not, you know, go through with the contract, right? Let them go ahead and hire somebody else. So without, I don't want to get too much more into that. We'll, we'll close. We'll have some closing comments after our talk with Amy, but uh, she has a lot of good things to say for contractors that want to elevate their game as it relates to mold remediation and other issues that we face. So let's get after it. Okay. All right. Ready? Here we go. Am I ready? I think so. All right. Well, we're here with um, Amy Sidlecki with the uh, Mold Reporters. And you're based out of Portland, right? Um, based out of Portland. Portland, Oregon. But uh, I think you said you serve roughly Eugene to Olympia. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, but and the, the coast out also. So we've got a pretty wide area. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that we should say um, for uh, whatever to... I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the word, but uh, I'm trying to remember. So I think we met when I was working in Salem yeah, um, with a local contractor and starting up a, a restoration division down there. And um, so you were, when did you start the mold reporters? 2002. 2002? Yeah. It's a while I, ago. I want to say, I think I had moved, it had to have been 2004 or something like that. So. You had been doing it for a while, and yeah. <laughs> well, hey, back then I was the I was like the experienced one in town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I guess yeah, I am yeah. now too, but yeah. Well, and that's uh, so we'll get. So I always love asking this question. I think I, I knew this answer, but uh, it doesn't come to mind. But um, so young Amy's in high school, and she's dreaming about becoming an industrial hygienist and testing homes and businesses for mold. Is that uh, correction? Correction. I dreamed about crawling through crawl spaces, yeah, and yeah. PPE and rat dung. That's what I was dreaming when I was yeah. a little kid. No, yeah. I wanted to be a ballerina, of course, but uh, <laughs> that uh, that career went out. No, um, you know, I you don't think about that when you're you're a little kid. Yeah. My background's in engineering, and then okay. build, building sciences and building and. Uh, renovations, remedi not remediation, but, you know, building and renovation. So that's kind of how we got into it. 
falling into it, seeing a need. You know, once once building practices changed in the 90s and yeah. houses became more airtight and the, yeah. say, the building materials maybe were less conducive to not growing mold. So yeah. lead paint was out, asbestos was out. Those things were all, you know, really good for controlling mold. So anyway, we saw a need and one thing led to another and I pursued the the mold business. Actually. Yeah. Well, when, so 2002, had you been doing um, industrial hygiene uh, prior to that or so, what kind so of? Actually, actually I came from Chicago to Portland okay. at that time and came to Portland. So in Chicago, we were doing, you know, I was doing uh, building sciences, engineering, and then some real estate and, and uh, renovation background. When I moved to Portland, it was I was pretty much going to semi-retire, and we were just going to do uh, rehabs, so redo buildings and renovations and flipping or saving for investment. So sort of semi-retirement, but <laughs> that didn't work really well with me. I wound up getting involved in this business out of need because at the time there really was nobody doing yeah. uh, evaluations, and as I said early 2000s really the mold was peaking yeah, in terms yeah. of starting to appear abnormally so you get to the point where there's a need and there's really nobody taking care of the problems there were very few remediators yeah virtually no consultants which i am a consultant i'm not a remediator right. and so i just started studying it just for our own buildings and and figuring out what to do and then decided to go into business and the rest is history 18 yeah. years later <laughs> so well that's it's funny that you mentioned that because um i think let's see i i grew up like you mentioned around construction uh, but i had never heard of property restoration you know water and fire damage and i i'm trying to i remember growing up like i had a friend that had mold that would grow on a wall you know near a window but right. you know, his mom would just bleach it and and that seemed normal right and then um, I answered an ad <clears throat> for carpet cleaning for a service master in California. I think that was, that's gotta be around 2001, 2002. And uh, that's what they said, we're starting this mold remediation division and you'd be good for that. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and, uh, and so kind of, you know, same, we were researching best practices and kind of learning on the go. And in California, that's where a lot of the lawsuits and things were happening. So um, you know, and back then it was covered. Uh, and really foremost, uh, California's really led the trail. Yeah. It was one of the leaders on, on best practices and, and yep. certification and so on. Yeah. Well, uh, um, let's see. It wasn't initially, uh, w when I first moved up, you know, I told people I ran, um, was assistant manager for a mold remediation division. Oh people you know they I didn't know what it was what, what is that and so you know because in 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 the northwest you know it's a lot more humid you know a lot more um and i know we did a lot of crawl spaces and attics and those kinds of things and you know to some degree people only get concerned about that when they're selling or buying right you know uh, my wife's yeah. a realtor now and it still comes up um you know and, and and becomes a negotiating piece but uh when it was covered you know it was you know, some of the saying was mold is gold, but, uh, right. That's, I hate that saying, but yeah. well, 
and the reality is when insurance companies paying for it, everybody's concerned about it. It's getting taken care of. And then when insurance isn't paying for it, all of a sudden people aren't as concerned, you know? So, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, I remember, uh, when we met, you wrote the most detailed reports and very thorough and, um, and then gave clients really good advice on how to, you know, properly. It's such a tricky thing because if you don't take care of the, you know, where it came from and the house afterwards, then, you know, the, the remediation can be a waste, you know, because then exactly. it's come back. Exactly. So, and I think that was when, um, especially when we came up here, because in California, so much stuff is slab on grade, so you don't have as much of the crawl space. Yep. And then that becomes a component. The stack effect. Of, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So that was a whole new learning curve. Well, so our, our primary audience is property restoration contractors. I've learned a ton from you, um, you know, as far as your reports go and advice that you've given over the years and those kinds of things. So what do you see, um, you know, as it relates to mold remediation, um, you know, maybe that's homeowners, property managers, building owners, and then remediation contractors, some of the key things that can really set a good remediation project apart. Oh, that's, do you have all day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, how much time do we have here? As much time as you want, yeah. <laughs> well, we can make a whole series, yeah. You know what, I, I think I'd like to touch on the remediation contractors, what they can do, because you have the ex- expectation of the homeowner, and I think to who to talk, to talk about is the homeowner or the property owner and the remediation contractor. The others that you mentioned, they're sort of ancillary, except maybe property managers, which in a sense step into that homeowner, homeowner space. Uh, I do have, I have some concerns about real estate agents specifically trying to manage these product projects. And um, it, it becomes a problem because their best interest isn't always in having the job done to the best of their ability. It's get it done quick. Let me get my commission. I'm out of here. And yeah. so, so I'm gonna leave, that can be another meeting altogether. But yeah. um, so as far as the homeowner's expectation is to have a clean house when the remediation is done. Yeah. Contractor, of course, their job is to, to do the remediation. So, my function as a consultant typically is we would come in, determine what the problem is, what's the scope of the problem, and what needs to be done in terms of correcting the issue. So as you touched on at the intro, that would be, you know, determining what the source of moisture is. Is the moisture gone? Are there repairs that need to be done there? And then what type of remediation is best suited for the situation? Right. So that is separate from the remediation contractor who generally should follow that protocol that we set forth, we as a consultant, they, they should follow that protocol. Now, I don't know what, if this is a wider audience um, that we're talking to here, but specifically in Oregon and Washington, there aren't regulations. So yeah. very, very, very small regulation on as far as mold goes. So there's a lot of contractors who are, for lack of a better word, using snake oil sure. and using the easiest the easiest, cheapest way out. And their, their goal is competitive pricing instead of the better contractors would, would be showing their customer that they're doing best practice that would have the most longevity for the project. Yeah. um, That being following a protocol. 
Well, I that think- gets, if I, that gets a little tricky, you know, it's almost like the, I'm not trying to pick on Walmart. I'm not a Walmart detractor, but a lot of people complain about Walmart, right? It's low prices and questionable how well they treat their people and everything. Although right now they're keeping a lot of people employed and, and those kinds of things, but people want to complain about it. And like you said, the client's a part of that equation, right? Because if the client wants just the cheapest, quickest option, you know, unfortunately there's, um, you know, our stance was usually, well, we're not your, your contractor then that's not right. Right. Oh, and, and a lot of them won't walk away, but I, here's what I, I think is most important, what I would say to contractors out there. So notwithstanding method, do the job right the first time. Don't try to cut corners because somebody like me is going to come in someday. So typically what should be done is I'm there before the remediation, right. the remediation is done, and then I'm there again to do the post-remediation verification before the remediation contractor closes out the job so that we can make sure that all of the expectations that were in our protocol have been met. That gives the contractor their clearance. Now, I'm, I'm basically signing off. That takes some liability away from them as well. Yep. The other side of that is when a contractor says, oh, you don't need, you don't need a, a consultant. You know, we do our own testing. We do our own. They're essentially grading their own paper. Yeah. So, yeah. so going back to what I was saying, doing it right the first time, hey, if you're following the current standards of practice and you know you're doing a good job, great. But if you're in there cutting corners, yeah. cutting out a contractor, what I'm seeing a lot lately and over the years is the contractors that are cutting corners going in doing in and out cheap job patting themselves on the back telling the client they did a good job everything's fine yeah fast forward a year later when a there's there's some symptoms in the house or b they're going to sell a a home inspector goes in there goes oh there's mold yeah. Let's just say an attic, for example. There's mold, there's discoloration in the attic, have a mold inspection. We come in and determine the remediation was not done correctly. Yeah. For example, let's just go back to attics. I've seen cases where the whole attic was to be remediated and the contractor did the job. It looks great when you look at it from the access point. I go in and crawl in, find they've remediated right around the access point, but to the other sides, it's completely unremediated or done less effectively as you go into the attic. So that's an example. So now what happens is the homeowner, because they're selling and it's got to be corrected, they wind up having to pay for the remediation all over again. And sometimes it's more difficult if it's been botched in the first place. Right. A, a poor remediation, you could have degradation of materials, you could have paint coatings that have to be scraped off that were used. Cross-contamination. So Cross-contamination is a big one. That's, we, yeah. that's a whole different subject as well. So I would say, and then you, let's just talk about IICS, uh, IICRCS 520 is probably one of the most recognized mold remediation standards, right? right. Everybody probably familiar with that. What I'm seeing a lot of the contractors doing with or without a protocol from a third party, I'm often seeing on their estimates, and I do review estimates for our clients just to kind of look at what the contractor is saying that they're going to do, what methods they're, they're going to be proposing. 
Um, and I'm oftentimes I'm seeing methodology that's not in the standard, but at the end of their estimate or somewhere in the body of their estimate, it says we follow IICRCS 520. Guys, if you're out there, remediation (laughs) contractors, get this book. (laughs) Read it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, so our protocols are written pretty much based on the standard. So when I see that they say we're going to come in and apply massive amounts of chemicals and then we're going to fog, that's not in there. Yeah. And then their estimate says they're using those methodologies. Yes. So, you know, if you're going to quote a methodology that you're going to uh, propose the remediation, make sure you're following the, the protocol. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's going to come back and bite you if you haven't done it correctly. Was well, that, I mean, that's, uh, so I know um, at least when, when, when we had been working together, your policy was you had, uh, if somebody asked you for a contractor, you would say, Here, here's three, you know, um, you'd always recom- um, give them a, a report of like at least three people and never, um, you know, recommend anybody to say these are ones. You have three. to kind of twist my arm to really yeah. get a contractor recommendation. Yeah. And it's not necessarily three, two, whatever it is. When they really press me for a contractor, I will give them names of contractors most recently who I've seen doing good work, yeah. providing good follow-up, yeah. being willing to correct any problems in the remediation that we discover, yeah. and have good customer satisfaction. So I don't, I've never upfront referred any contractor. Yeah. I don't take referral fees. I don't pay yeah fees, nothing like that. Um, but I also, when I do give names, I encourage them to get bids, you know, yeah. as many bids as they want and let, yeah. and I'd be happy to review them for yeah. them. Well, it's funny you mentioned the, um, you know, uh, people getting the cheapest. I do remember there was one project that we did with a client, uh, a mutual client, and they hired somebody else based on the cheapest. And I remember I told them, I said, I said, I know mine is, they asked if I would come down and meet their price. And I said, I, I, I won't, because I know what it's going to take to do your job. It was, it was a pretty, comp- I think it was attic and crawl space. Mm-hmm. It was on the coast. Um, and, uh, and I said, and, and I remember on that one in particular, I had told them, I said, I, I really, I, I feel strongly about this pricing and the structure and this plan. And I, I want to encourage you to consider not as a pressure, but if you go with this other contractor, I think they did it for like half or something like that. I said, I'm pretty sure you're going to be calling me back. And, and they do. And that's, that's what happened. And so um, I never tried to pressure people into it, but it's funny, you know, that you, you brought that up, you know, when people don't do it correctly, it's a disservice to the client. And then also, um, do you, uh, this might not be an area you want to talk, do you get called in that often for litigation? If um, people are... Very- very much so lately. Um, I'm, I've got numerous attorneys that call me to go in and be the expert and to do the evaluation. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, you don't want to be on the back end of yeah. that. You know, yeah. um, we, as you mentioned, we're very meticulous about, you know, our, our processes, yeah. doing the the uh, cross-contamination prevention during sampling, photo documentation, following 
published written protocols right. in everything yeah. that we do. So if you are doing a shoddy job, that could be a problem. We had, um, I've had cases where, you know, remediations were done where complete rescissions of houses have been uh, obtained by homeowners after buying when somebody told them it was done correctly. I've seen real estate people lose their license temporarily oh, wow. because of making claims and changing, you know, I don't want to just, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Just, just do the job right. Keep your book keeping and your, your records keeping in shape and yeah. you, you shouldn't have a problem and it shouldn't be a problem if a consultant, whether me or anybody else, is saying, here's the protocol, can you follow it? Yes, yeah. we can, it's gonna cost X, Y, Z. Yeah. To take that protocol and then go and have somebody spray or paint over a mold problem, yeah. it's only going, it's very probable that it could wind up in, in trouble. The other thing that I think is, is a big issue right now and, and should be pointed out is contractors and consultants making health claims. So our job is to make sure a house is, you know, normal fungal ecology, clear of water damage, clear of, you know, mold amplification. Yeah. And it's not to tell somebody, oh, you won't be sick in the house or, oh, you are sick in the house because you have this mold. And so many are crossing that line. Unless you have an MD after your name, yeah. your job is just to, to evaluate the home. And yes, we get calls all the time from people because they're having symptoms. Yeah. That's yeah. a good indicator. But our job is to find the problem right. as far as mold. And you can have a completely clear mold job and, and you cannot, you should not tell that client, it's clear, the consultant cleared it, you're, you're safe to live here now. Because yeah. there could be other things, rodent problems, formaldehyde, VOCs, you know, benzene, toluene, all kinds of problems that could be making somebody sick in the house. Or just general house cleaning, right? I mean, how many times have we been called out and, and, and people are worried about this one by one spot of mold, yep. you know, behind something or <laughs> and it's like their house is, you know, just in, uh, I mean, it's disgusting, right? I mean, you go it is. and mold. the dust, the dirt and the dust uh, reservoirs, in, interestingly, yeah. if the house is maintained humid and in some environments like that, it is, you get a biofilm. So all yeah. that dust, you get yeah. settled spores and it becomes a mold issue yeah. as yeah. well. So again, going back to that, if you're fixing one small problem, you know, but you could still find contractors making health claims. And I've seen contractors tell people, oh, that's just, conversely, oh, that's just a little spot of mold. That's no problem at all. You, you, you can't be having health problems from that. Oh, Most recently, I had a, a mold-sensitive client, according to her physician. Um, the contractor told her exactly that. Turned out later, this was a townhouse between the two units, the entire wall was completely rotted. Oh. I mean, it was a major, it's like pre pretty much completely opening up between the two townhouses. It's a total, yeah. total remediation. And so, but again, even so, my job was to find that mold, which I did, yeah. and, you know, make the protocol, test it afterwards, and make sure it met standards fun for fungal ecology. Whether or not she can live there, that's not up to me. That's the physician, yeah. her, and how they feel in the house. So. Yeah, your job is to to 
talk about the, well, I'm sure your engineering background helps on that too. I mean, people understanding how structures are built, especially, you know, those shared spaces where you could have double layer walls and sound barriers and those kinds of things that just trap, you know, just a hotbed for, you know, things to grow for a long period. Well, absolutely. And the other, uh, to talk about building science, I've heard contractors tell, and I'm not sure consultants, but mostly contractors tell people that, no, you've got major mold in the attic. There's no way that that mold can transfer down or that can compromise your air quality, which is false <laughs> because it certainly can during, you know, negative pressure of the building through penetrations that are in the, and sometimes there's exhaust ducts that are just open right into the attic. Yeah. And, and when uh, the fan's not on, that air can come back. I mean, there's so many ways that the building envelope breathes and yeah. from the crawl space, the attic. And when they, t when you say, unequivocally no it can't transfer yeah that's just a setup yeah yeah well i i know and and maybe not maybe i i, I owe a debt of gratitude to the one the person that i learned it from um a man named denis but like uh our approach even as we were developing it uh and let's see s520 didn't come out to like 03 or 04 if i remember correctly yeah. so there was some mention of microbial growth in um, S500, but uh, it really was, you know, you were paying attention to IAQA would release something. Um, Dr. Harriet Burge was releasing a lot of information and those kinds of things. Um, and so for us, we always wanted to encourage people to get a pre and a post test because exactly of the liability. The whole reason, if you think about it as a contractor, the only reason you're there doing mold remediation is liability. The insurance company is trying to absolve themselves of liability, right? And that's why they're paying for it. And so, and they've now found ways to exclude that. But, um, yeah. you know, mold is a liability. That's why we're there remediating. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's just silly not to try to put barriers in place to protect yourself and the client. Um, and that's uh, the one thing I think that uh, you do that's a great service to people in addition was, you know, with your scientific mind trying to determine, well, where, why is this here? Because that's always the, if you go into a house and there's a known leak and there's mold around the known leak, that's, there's not a lot of science to that, right? Like exactly. you have a leak, fix the leak, get rid of the mold. You should be good. But when you walk into, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, there, how many you walk into and, and there's, you know, too many people in the space, you know, there's other issues that ambient moisture is a lot more difficult to try to determine a source and then, you know, put up a remediation plan that's going to be sustainable, you know, to where it's not just going to be right back after you leave, you know, so um, it's interesting that, that uh, we're in 2020 and we're still talking about the same things, you know, you could say back then it was ignorance because it was evolving. Now the information is there. And like you said, the S520 to where, there's not really an excuse to underperform, you know? <laughs> and um, so um, I, I don't want to gloss over that. Like you, you do more than mold, um, you know, so as it relates to healthy buildings and, and how you're interacting with clients and those kinds of things, um, how do you see that playing into, you know, like COVID-19 cleanup and uh, maybe, you know, once we get a handle on it, I'm hoping like this conversation that it kind of forces everybody to really look at what are we doing to keep our employees safe? You know, whether you're a business owner or a remediation contractor and then, you know, 
stepping up your best practices and your site safety plans and, and those kinds of things. What are you seeing on your end to that, how that all plays in on that? Yeah, so OSHA has a really good document now um, that you can go on their website for best practices as far as safety of employees and, and environments. The cleaning of environments to my understanding is pretty much the same protocol as SARS or norovirus or yeah. those other infectious diseases. Um, it is a little bit of a slippery slope though right now because we don't really know 100% about how COVID is transmitted, or the yeah. coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, and so the cleaning protocol, you have to make sure if they're, from my understanding is when you're cleaning it, in an environment. So let's say you've been called in as a contractor to go in and disinfect a yeah. office environment where seven people were sick. Okay. So cleaning it, the protocol follows, you know, the typical ones for infectious diseases, but you need to make sure on the post, you know, doing post testing before allowing people back in that it's not uh, just clean, that it's disinfected. Right. And, um, and so that would be log, I'm just going to look at something right here. So uh, log reduction testing. So that's going to tell you if it's completely disinfected. And I'm looking at a, a document, a good person to contact uh, about that would be Wei Tang from QLab. He's a microbiologist, owns QLab, um, Dr. Wei Tang. I think he would be a really good source for people to discuss testing pre and post for, for COVID. Do you yeah. want me to give his number? Sure. 856-489-0011. Eight, yeah, he just put out a, a, a pretty good article on, uh, yeah, Wei Tang, W-E-I-T-A-N-G. He owns Q Lab, just the letter Q. Um, he would be a good source for yeah. talking as far as that. Another uh, source that I was thinking, if, if contractors already doing, you know, cleaning for infectious, um, you know, de decontamination, that's one thing. But I am seeing a lot of several, I should say, contractors wanting to go into this cleaning, yeah. having never done it before. And that's yeah. where I get a little concerned. Um, you know, I'm, you know, especially the ones that can't even do a remediation yeah. effectively. And now I'm seeing their trucks in front of the schools doing the cleaning. That's a little bit concerning. So I would familiarize yourself if you're getting involved with that type of cleaning and haven't done it before with the bioaerosols assessment and control. Okay. This is also where most of the protocols have been written for mold and other, you know, back when you, yep. like you said before, IICRC. S520. Um, this, this is from the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. So they're the ones that really came out with the Bible of, of bioaerosols. And so as going back to COVID, chapter nine, uh, respiratory infections, transmission and environmental control. Huh. A very good chapter. Um, but this book, anybody in environmental should have a copy of this book. Yeah. It's probably even online now, you know. It's yeah. You young young whippersnappers that have <laughs> read everything online, I'm sure Internet. you can get it. So you're so so you're reading as I said, I have reading homework for my for your viewers. Yep. 
but yeah, so there, there's resources out there and, and, and just use them and do your job yeah. right, is, I guess is my message. Yeah. Oh, do, do you do um, testing and sampling for bacteria and viruses and those so kinds of things? I do a bacteria sewage indicator. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't really do the viruses. And yeah. that's why I'd say, you know, talk to somebody like Wei, talk to a microbiologist. Uh, it'll probably happen in my future just because of the way the world's going with all of yeah. these viruses yeah, yeah. and bacteria. But yeah, I'll be, I would train myself on yeah. that specifically. But right now, um, there's a lot of good information yeah. you can follow if you're, if you're getting involved with that. Yeah. Well, I think even contractors that aren't directly doing COVID cleanup still, um, you need to educate yourself and communicate yeah. with your teams. Uh, and it needs to be a part of the, um, you know, we work with a lot of larger general contractors. So that's part of our site specific is what are the ongoing current um, pre-cleaning that you're doing as the GC? And then what do we need to do for our teams? And then same as a restoration contractor, if people are going to homes and businesses, you know, it needs to be questions, needs to be part of your pre-task, you know, evaluation and, and, uh, and then talking to your team about, you know, thinking differently once you leave the house about, I was taught one contractor, um, I think it was an RAA call. They were talking about even, you know, wiping down your seatbelt, wiping down your, you know, steering wheel and those, those common. And uh, one of the conversations that come up with our team is if we have common tools that people are sharing, and that was a great point that got brought up, you know, just, we've got to do more. We can't do business as usual, even if you're not doing COVID cleanup. Exactly. Exactly. So. And then that, directly does correlate with health so you know, yeah 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 well for so long in the construction industry we call it the site-specific health and safety plan and it's just more of a generic boilerplate mm -hmm. you know whereas you know hopefully that's one of the positive things that comes out where we get back into okay site specifically whatever our points of you know if, if we think it's airborne or we're pretty sure it's airborne and we know that it's droplets on touch points then how do we minimize you know and you got like porta potties and common areas that that are unavoidable so how do we yeah. how do we deal with those so um and ppe what? yeah well which, which then, i don't know what we're gonna do the government wants you to give it all away and and i don't know yeah. what you guys are gonna do without it but anyway yeah that's uh there's some conversations about you know uh reusables and those kinds of things uh, I, i'm a little bit surprised that there's uh so many contractors reliant on n95s you know yeah yeah <laughs> We've I don't even wear an N95. I wear a, a full VOC yeah. respirator when I do my my work. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny when I go in the grocery store and that though these days. In, you take a full face? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But oh. yeah. yeah, our guys if are I taking. I come to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's uh, I mean, I, I think that that was one conversation I had with a group of contractors. Is just you know, um, for forever we've always told our teams you know, when I was doing restoration is uh, we're a full face respirator regardless. Like if you're cutting drywall or doing a fire yeah. cleanup and the, the pushback has been, well, it scares customers and it's like uh, too bad, you know, like I cut drywall day in and day out and I'm breathing I'm more exposed to it. And, um, and then that's also yeah, yeah. set up a, a, a barrier wall just to quarantine off your, your work area. Anyway. And, and customers understand that, you know, for me, you know, I, go in some very, very moldy places. Yeah. 
sucks because I'm in the front end. And if it's so bad, I will protect myself and yeah. you know, explain to them, I'm exposed to this stuff every day. So I really have yep. to protect myself. You yep. know? Well, and I, uh, even after doing remediation for years and years, you know, um, the fiberglass still just, you know, that I'll cough fiberglass for days yep. and even not even disturbing it, like crack the opening open and it's just, yeah, no, I won't even open it without it. And yep. and not only the fiber, we're talking about attics, crawl spaces, yeah. but not only the fiberglass, but the pesticides, the rodents inside, yeah. the fecal matter. I mean, who knows? You know, yeah. just it's just better off. Yeah, yep, yeah. That uh, yeah, it's <laughs> said rodent. That reminds me, we had a a raccoon in a crawl space that had been there for a while. I don't remember if that was with you or not, but <laughs> the customer they finally figured out where the odor was coming from. It was just this bloated raccoon in a crawl space so those yeah. are always fun yeah we do a lot of odor investigations interestingly i get a lot of calls from people for odor investigations specifically it's mold i smell mold and it's actually mouse urine so oh. a lot of people perceive the mouse urine as uh, a musty odor so um and, and sometimes refuse to believe that because they have droppings everywhere and the rodents are everywhere that that's causing issues for their air quality. And it, and it really does. So yeah, we do a lot of that and, and, uh, you know, quaternary cleaning. Yeah. You know, again, that, that, that cleaning process is also good for the viruses, you know, right. so, cause that's what it is. It's disinfection. So, yeah. Um, so we, we recommend that when it's serious rodent problems. Yeah. Well, I'm speaking more out of my element, but they, you know, they talk about the envelope and non-envelope, and this is envelope. So if you break that, it's technically easier to kill. But it's funny. I mean, we'll wrap up. I don't want to steal too much more of your time. I was just, uh, I was walking into a store the other day. Somebody had gloves and a mask on, and they pull the mask down, and they're scratching their face, and then pull the mask back up. It's just like, well, that's that's what the CDC and who are saying right now. Why sometimes having a mask is is more dangerous because People have this sense of yeah. safety and don't realize. Yeah, I think it was, my cousin might have said, um, you know, one of the best remedies to keep your hands off your face is two glasses of wine, you know, one in each hand, and then you can't. <laughs> so you we're, we're in the Northwest, so you got uh, craft beer and, and craft beer. Uh, or coffee if, you're, if you don't drink a good espressos, you know. Yeah. <laughs> energy drinks or whatever, yeah. So then those Easy are on fun. the energy drinks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you'd say that. Um, well, any, any closing comments and Amy, I, I thank you so much for, um, sharing your, your time and, and hopefully, uh, this can be the first of, of, uh, many, you know, you would touch on some other topics. Any other closing comments? Just if you do your job right yeah. and you're willing to cure any defects in your remediation process, you're, you're going to really yeah. do well. You're going to be a good source for people. So. Well, and that was, that was uh, what I wanted to bring up. You brought that up earlier is, you know, it's not like you never make mistakes, but being able to amend them and trying to make sure that they're not yeah. like just gross negligence, but, you know, things get missed or the samples are a little higher than they should be. And well, that's something too. So what I, I really think is effective is when we, as a consultant, go on a post-remediation verification, yeah. it's very helpful if the remediator can be there or at least the main contractor person yeah. 
the, the, who can correct any small issue. You know, sometimes when we're out there, it's a very small issue. The homeowner's yeah. there. If the contractor's there, I can say, look, here's what we found. It's a small issue. If the contractor's there and agree, they can go in and fix that problem. Yeah. Otherwise, I've got to go back, write the report saying it failed in this area because right. that was not done yet. So always have a representative of yours there on a post remediation if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you for uh, jumping on and for thank all your help over me. the years. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I hope that you appreciate, you know, Amy's perspective and the value that she's bringing to this conversation. Like I said, in my personal opinion, I have seen many, many, you know, just terrible um, mold inspection reports that, uh, you know, clients, whether it's a homeowner or a business owner, have paid for. And the data is insufficient. The write-up is terrible. You know, it doesn't give you workable information that the client can understand or that even the contractor can set up a plan from having a protocol written you know amy mentions the um iicr iicrc s520 um, mold remediation guidelines from the iicrc you know and if if you're offering remediation services and you're not aware of that document you know that you're doing yourself and your customer a disservice um, and there's obviously iicrc offers the amrt course and certification related to that um, but she also mentions the book Bioaerosols Assessment and Controls, which in um, I, I know a lot of indoor industrial hygienists uh, utilize. Uh, and she mentions Chapter Nine in particular as it relates to uh, coronavirus COVID nineteen cleanup. You know that might be another area that you can draw from, whether you're directly providing those services or. Um, just even making your team aware, you know, as you navigate your normal services in light of COVID-19 best practices. So if, if you're not aware, whether you're a client or a contractor that hasn't hasn't done a lot of mold remediation, having those baseline data is, is essential and important. The protocol, whether um, the environmental consultant is involved in writing those or you're writing your own, you know, you should have a plan for each project, you know, a site specific plan, you know, Hey, this is where it's coming from. This is how we're planning to attack this and communicating. She mentions that over and over again, communicating that with the client so that the expectations are set up properly on the outset. And like she mentioned, a lot of contractors will have S520 language in their estimates or their contracts, and yet they don't follow that. And I, I can't even imagine if you went to court, you know, how easy it would be to tear you apart if that was your process. You're saying, you know, customer hired us to do these things in light of this best practice. And, uh, and then <laughs> if someone can document that that wasn't done, um, you know, or can tear apart your documentation to show you didn't follow your own wording. Um, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. So if you don't follow S520, you know, I suppose that's fine. But 
you know, you probably want to make sure that your contract reflects the work that you're planning to provide. And then the post, you know, confirm via uh, visual, air sampling, sometimes the swabbing and et cetera, depending on, you know, the level that the client specifies. You know, a lot of that goes into even like sewage cleanup and those kinds of things. A lot of contractors, you know, don't practice that and, um, you know, uh, n not insulating yourself from liability, you know, which is what uh, working with an environmental consultant really can help, you know, add that value. And so, um, you know, I... I met Amy, I was um, starting a restoration division within an existing construction company that had done some insurance work. And so, you know, I learned a lot from her as far as um, um, elevating your practical knowledge, your working knowledge. You know, it's great if you know this and that about something, but you need to know how that applies to the real world, you know, and then set up a plan and follow the plan. You know, um, and you can, if an environmental consultant um, writes a plan that you think is ridiculous, you know, that, that's a conversation you can have. You should be able to have, you know, to alter that or, you know, even communicate to the client, you know, um, talk to your consultant. Um, they don't agree, but this is the way if we're going to be liable for the project, this is the way we're going to go about it and then achieve the um, end goal. And again, the best time to fire a client is before you start a project, not after. You know, so if, if your client has chosen a consultant that you don't want to work with, then, you know, that's okay. All right, we're going to pass on this one. You know, we're going <laughs> to go get the next one and work with people that uh, we appreciate working with. And then, like she mentioned too, uh, being able to fix the issues. You know, a lot of times, one of her recommendations was have one of your representatives there when the post abatement testing is being conducted because you never know it may just be a matter of you know a little bit of HEPA vacuuming or another wipe down of the floor or something like that you know issues happen you know we miss things things go wrong but the our ability to address them quickly and fix them is essential and when you've got you know, when you build a relationship with the carrier, with the client, with the environmental consultant, you know, that gives you, I don't want to say some leeway, but it gives you some currency to deal with when you make a mistake or something goes wrong. Uh, people can vouch for, hey, this doesn't normally happen, but uh, they're going to get that taken care of. And so, um, you know, those are principles that will help you whether you're you're dealing with remediation or COVID cleanup, or any number of the services that we offer. So I'm so grateful for you all listening. Um, I'm super excited. You know, we recently recorded with uh, uh, Rockland uh, Restoration, and they, uh, they're they one of the few companies, I think the only company I've ever heard of, that developed their own energy drink outside of Dutch Brothers. And so just some unique conversations, some, some great collaboration with people, uh, in and around the industry. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, if you are listening, whatever your platform is, if you wouldn't mind tagging us or, you know, rating um, us on uh, those platforms and uh, giving us a shout out, we'd love that. Um, that really helps get the word out. Um, you know, it's if you tried looking for it, you know, sometimes it can be hard to find. So all of those factors come into play to help get the word out more. So that would be very helpful. And uh, we appreciate you. Stay safe out there. We will see you next time.
Um, and I think I've subscribed to your YouTube. If I haven't, I will. So okay. I'll be able to see that. So, all right. Well, thanks. And this is a great service and hopefully you'll, you'll get a lot of good, uh, good interviews. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I already, I'm already lined up a talent. So thank you. <laughs> Excellent. All right. We'll talk Here. To yeah. It's a Belfort Tyvek suit. So. Well, if things keep going this way, I might have to strip that off of them. I took, um, <laughs> yeah, right. For, uh, I'm working for an abatement company and um, we did a, um, what was it? A, uh, it wasn't a job fair, but it was kind of science, what STEM, science, technology. What's the E for? So, yeah, that's good. Yep. So, all right. Well, I guess good. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, so,